0: So I've come up with a couple of readings that may illustrate some of the points, practices that have been referring to. The first one is about um, consciousness in citta. This is from the 12th book of the Connected Discourses Sutta 64 and it's just an extract from it just, I mean, these suttas are very repetitive um, so in this the Buddha talks about nutriment which means input you could say things that we feed upon either literally or metaphorically or psychologically and he says he's got four kinds there's um Edible food, which you could also gloss into any kind of sense contact that we take in, but food is the most obvious one that particular relationship we have to certain substances. <laughs> you know, that becomes food, and then you have a certain relationship to it. If the food happens to be an animal, that, that very much affects one's relationship to that living creature, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a certain passion you know, that, that eliminates other, other ways of relating. Mm. So this is the disadvantage of nutriment. I think nutriment is nourishing, yes, but actually what it does, it transforms our experience into things that we relate to as, as objects that we can get gratified by in some way. And that's uh, you know that's certainly a biased relationship. And if you contemplate relationship to food and we say food is essentially plants animals you know relationship to the natural world is quite biased isn't it? And if it's not food and it's we're kind of like, we well, get rid of it. <laughs> or, you know, so there's that passion, we do need to eat, but that passion grips the mind without really even knowing it, and we see things a certain way. As you get the picture of that, that perception, that recognition, just notice that mindset, you know, and see how that can refer to other things. You know, we, people, you know, physically eat them, but do we see each other as objects that we can, you know, oh, well, I want her or him to do this. She's the cook. He says, it could be an object for me that I'll be fulfilled by. This gets very ugly, doesn't it? And if you're not, <laughs> you know, so you just look at that. It's, it's called the word is raga, which Bhikkhu Bodhi translates as lust. That may be a bit too limited passion, I would say, raga, passion. as one's mind is a quality of passion, sort of fires the mind up, the chitta to sense things in a particular way and not to sense things in a sympathetic way yeah. You know, it's not sympathetic it's not well there's this there's that equal value and yeah, we work this out but you're one of those yeah. and then the, the passion then justifies our actions so when there is delight, when there is this passion for nutriment, if there is delight, if there is craving, consciousness becomes established there and comes to growth. So, okay, just to try to tease that one out. Say, for example, with material food, you know, when there's delight in that, Chicken or fruit or something, craving, wow, then consciousness, the act of acknowledging something, mm. is established and comes to growth. We really see creatures as edibles, mm. primarily, or vermin, you know, that we can exterminate. So the consciousness, consciousness, vijnana, is a data processing, a data harvesting system. It looks around and it, you know, categorizes things. It takes in data, sense data, and it also produces sense data. So it takes in visual objects, you know. So we might see in our visual field this whole potential of visual phenomena in which we might actually ignore the space, ignore the lighting, ignore the screens and see a few people and the rest of it doesn't matter, not there, doesn't impinge or you might see a person you know very well or are concerned about and they become the highlight so that scanning and that, that seizing of an object, carving it out of a field, that's the activity of consciousness. Even which kind of consciousness? We see the room rather than hear the room. We don't smell it, because we're not really olfactory creatures. Dog would probably smell it, first of all. Mm. And then that becomes established reality of where we're living. So the consciousness selects particular data, establishes data, and then establishes me within that particular context or realm. That's my world, for now. Now, what these people are interested in is not actually how things fundamentally are, but how how we experience things. So the Buddha's analysis is not supposed to be objectively real, but subjectively what happens. What happens. And the nature of objective reality, even if there is one at all, is left undetermined. Because how would you ever get to be objective? (laughs) You have a subjective system. Uh, and everything is dependent on how you measure it. Right? And I think scientists are coming to that conclusion too now. It took them a while. Mm-hmm. So you know, when there's passion, then there's craving, some inclination, you know, phenomena are selected and absorbed into, taken in. Then consciousness starts working on it. And the way it works on it is called the descent of name and form. It's hardly a winning phrase, but it means you start labelling it, classifying it, categorising it. That's called perception. Feeling arises with that. Yeah. For any of those to occur, there's some sort of contact impression, contact perception, feeling. There's an intention, and there's attention. That's labelling, naming, all those come together. So we might say, for example, you know, okay, an architect would see a house rather differently from a burglar. When a burglar sees a house, they see the locks, the doors, the windows, and so forth. An architect probably sees the shape of the roof. Are they seeing the same thing? Well, yes and no. A realtor would probably sees it in terms of how much that can sell, or they're not interested in the design. somebody's purchasing it might be interested in the location they wouldn't see it in the same way so what is it? well depends on name and form how it manifests for you so form is not held to be an existing reality but what manifests in your consciousness what details you pick up and as you probably recognize, you know, a dog would have a different reality than us, even though they're moving around in what seems to be the same world. So this gets a little bit speculative, but what we can notice is when consciousness lands on something, it starts getting to work. It starts etching in the details and favoring and picking up details that it's interested in or re- repelled by or remembers or that reminds me of so-and-so, or the action starts happening. So, when the action starts happening, the Buddha says there is growth of volitional formations. This means we start getting what can I do about this? That's not very good. I like one of those. What on earth is that about? I don't see, you know, it starts to genie movement starts happening. <laughs> yeah. When there's growth of volitional formations, there is the production of future renewed existence. So we start to move in the world of time, mm. because volition, I aim, I intend, I want, therefore there will be a result. That's the movement of time. right? I see something, looks dirty, I feel irritated by that, I want to clean it up so it will look pleasant. There's the movement in time. That's not a bad movement. Except maybe what you thought was a mess was somebody else's artistic arrangement. <laughs> or my tea. Because <laughs> when I make tea, I put it in a pot, you see. And the idea is you pour the boiling water and you make a cup of tea, then you leave the tea there and you can make a certain cup after it. And suddenly you get three or four... Bruise out of that, out of that same leaves. And I always find myself being dogged by tidiers who want to tidy me up <laughs> and throw away things that I've just put somewhere for later. Because <laughs> you think it's a mess. <laughs> That's why I like it like that. It's organic. they move in time Yeah, do this there will be a result and this is so so normal we don't really ever check it uh, just that result and then when you get to the result what happens well there's another one you're going to do and another and it goes on, so this is called rebirth (laughs) renewed existence volition, volition volition so this is what happens when there's that and this Buddha said, if you come down to it, everything's okay. The the core quality is passion. Since we have sense organs, sense bases, is it possible to see something without this kind of whole process going on? (laughs) Whereby one speculates what it could be, should be, would be, why it wasn't, where it came from, what we're going to do about it, and just be as it is in the mind, it was cool. It goes through the same analysis in terms of um, contact, that is, uh, there's a kind of fever for something to get engaged with. And as you could recognize on retreat, we come with uh, an enormous degree of renunciation in terms of contact when there's no television and no cell phones and no da-da-da, you know, the mind, woof, that's quite a hit, and uh, the mind starts, contact, 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 you know, and, you know, that search for it, so you see people reading backs of cereal packets, and <laughs> something to engage with. <laughs> looking at ingredients of, of the cleaning fluid because <laughs> <coughs> nothing is just too stark and clearly when that is in there then we start ferreting around in our memories and, you know, or getting obsessed with other people's clothing or bodies or mannerisms you know, suddenly become extremely heightened because of that so again this is a, a passion and it's, it's again it's so, so normal we don't really realize the pull of that and the agitation of it and there is something that can recognize that can recognize that delight that pull, that agitation that which is pulled and agitated passionate is chitta. It also can recognise a quality of passion because the quality of the heart becomes rather heated or driven or tight or tense or ragged and if that were not possible there would be no possibility for liberation. So that when there's this passion, you know, contact comes and goes and there is that Seizing or repelling or judging or what happens? Oh. Consciousness now established on that particular phenomenon doesn't get agitated, doesn't start creating a world out of it, and we don't go down these these uh, rabbit holes where you get into some detail and just snaking around inside some incredible piece of detail, remembering it, fantasizing about it judging you thinking, wow you got really busy there out of nothing <laughs> mm. the nutriment of mental volition mano sancetana it's an interesting one mano sancetana mano the thinking or conceiving or uh, data forming mind deals in concepts ideas planning Analysis, calculation, conclusions, coming to conclusions, creating programs and structures, I'll do this and that and this and that and this and that and this and then at ten o'clock this and that and this and that and I'll do this and that and this and this kind of thing. And there's a drive within that, there's volition to get through that list of things to do, or to do these things that the mind has created. Yeah. You know? And the Buddha in a striking image likened this. He says, Manasanchetana, just imagine two big strong men grabbed hold of a weaker man and dragged him towards this blazing charcoal pit. (laughs) Blazing charcoal pits which seem to appear here and there in the Buddha's discourses. (laughs) Would that man struggle? Yes, he would. Could he get away from him? No, these two may be dragging him towards the charcoal pit, placing charcoal pit. This is It was very graphic. So the little fellow who's being grabbed is the chitta, and Manasuncetana is obsessive thinking. <laughs> obsessive thinking. Driving on thinking, creating, analyzing, structuring, programming, planning, calculating, analyzing, you know. And it's dragging the jitter towards this fire of mental proliferation. Mm. And it's willful. I ain't too strong when it really grows. And there's a delight in it. Because I'm really getting things done. I'm really getting on the track here. You know? And in meditation, okay, I'm going to my list at 7 o'clock, i do do 45 minutes of metabhavanah. But then I'll sneak in 15 minutes of Karuna at the end of it. And then I'll do my half an hour straight with Pasana, Then I'll nip into Zogchin for an hour or so, just <laughs> spacious awareness. <laughs> then I'd better get out and do a bit of walking meditation. And you know, kind of structure a whole day. And it gets very busy. <laughs> Or you know, because it's Buddhist presentation is very rife for this sort of thing. You get sixteen stages of Anapanasati. You think, right here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> you know, stage one, two. And am I halfway towards stream entry? A quarter way towards stream entry? Completely deluded? <laughs> have to make enough merit to reborn in a future life? Or I am a stream entry, but I need to know it. And this kind of. thing Stop suffering, stop suffering. <laughs> stop stressing yourself. Just cut. Cut off this, the grip of this thing. <laughs> because it, all of these things, that, you know, the passion, and what it does is it stimulates consciousness to dig into that stuff and create a realm out of it, name and form. And the net result of, of the action of consciousness is me, right? So I can very heightenedly self-obsessive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Buddha on one occasion says when you don't intend when there's no planning and no intending consciousness does not become established. Mm. So this process of Sanchetana Chetana, volition Sun, connected to Mano, the thinking mind collected to volition you know where the thought arises, action. Great idea. Great idea. I'll this that. and that. I'll get this done, then I'll be. I'll get that sorted, and then I'll be. You'll be stressed, essentially. Because <laughs> 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 if you read it, you can feel exactly that's what's happening. So you're shifting out of the delusion that passion generates, how does this feel? This feels pretty driven. And if it's driven, it's not going to stop. Driving doesn't get you anywhere, apart from more driving. So the last one is consciousness itself, which is kind of uh, searching for data to process. And so we can obviously we can some our consciousness. We can sort of switch them off <coughs> nose consciousness not really a problem tactile uh, um, tongue not much of a problem hearing a little bit visual consciousness you can close your eyes mind consciousness does not switch off without some deep practice yeah. mm. and it's the sense of dispassion around the various data that arise. And, of course, what arises is memories, ideas, concerns, worries, pains, images of myself, concerns about what I could be, things I can't hardly get words around, some vaguely pressurized, distracted tense sense arising. So dispassion towards these is very tricky. their reflexes are so fired to uh, yeah. so, so ingrained. Mm. And we we'll look at that process is kind of what we're involved with. The Buddha gives this image suppose it's a house or a hall with windows on northern, southern and eastern sides when the sun rises and a beam of light enters through a window where would that beam of light be established? It comes through the eastern wall and the monks say, well, land on the western wall that sun shines from the east, lands on the western wall it says, very good. What about if you take the wall down, the Western Wall down, where does the sunlight land? He says, well, I guess it lands on the Earth. Uh-huh. So he says, what if you take the Earth away? And in those days they believed that the Earth rested in a vast cosmic ocean. Take the Earth away, it rests on the ocean, on the water. The Buddha says, Okay what happens if you take the water away? So now we've just gone into space. You might say, where does that light land? And they say, it doesn't land anywhere. Right? Just so, bhikkhus. <laughs> if there's no passion for these nutriments, consciousness does not land, does not become established, does not come to growth, there's no renewal, of birth, aging, sickness, death, suffering, lamentation, pain, anguish, grief and despair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, But of course, it is possible. So for example, if you use that analogy, this is just an analogy, what happened if you just focused on the light itself rather than where it's going? You're not switching it off even but you're not focusing on what it lands on. And it wouldn't matter if it landed anywhere or not because you'd be in that, that light. Right? So it is, there is a chitta that we could say is like an inner light A light of awareness, and it's normally landing on something. And that landing on something is the establishment of consciousness. Now, if one's attention is almost reflected back to the knowingness, the awareness itself, maybe it doesn't have to land on anything. It doesn't have to be a thought, sight, sound. How is that? By focusing on the quality of chitta itself, I would suggest. And uh, this is um, you know obviously quite elusive. Um, it's there. It's elusive because it doesn't have a discrete form to it. There's a knowing, but it doesn't have, it's not something you can actually experience as an object. But you can, you can get a sense of a turning, which everybody can do. We can turn to, it's called reflection. How am I with that? What's happening for me now? Just that turning. And, you know, that turning, which isn't even asking for an answer. It's just the turning, turning inwardly, or reflecting. Of course, for most people, when they do turn, they find this object start to rise—the unprocessed phenomena, latent in the chitta, unprocessed tensions, unprocessed um, absences, anxieties. Um, irritations fears uh, things they can't even find words for just some strange constricted numb state or oppressed experience you know? this, this is all the unprocessed so then reflection becomes rather difficult in fact a complete you know a completely untrained mind of an unwholesome person doesn't want to reflect you don't want to know just you know people just absorb into anything to get away from themselves. But for people who you know, who haven't got this heavy karmic burden, who can bear their reflection and a sense of, yes, that wasn't so good, but you know, you know, one can not be overwhelmed by it. One can actually bear honestly with it and start to relate to that in a steady, spacious, non reactive way, dispassion. Mm. And this involves a certain unhooking from the data. Viveka, Vega, non-bonding, not being bonded to the vi is a separative prefix, so you can step back from from that lock and reflect on the experience. Oh, it's, what it's doing in terms of chitta. You know, it's stimulating oppressing, uh, frightening, you know, numbing, and it still is rather difficult. So in some of these teachings we've seen the Buddha recommending, well, okay, let's just do something that Chitta will find agreeable to get it into reasonable shape. (laughs) So we cultivate virtue and so forth, and then we do this thing called meditation. And he said, Well, some, something pretty easy that everybody can do, doesn't take any effort. Yeah, I like breathing, everybody can do breathing, doesn't take any particular effort. It just happens by itself. You just relax and feel yourself breathing in, and that's fine. You know, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. What do you mean you can't breathe? I was breathing okay till I got mindful of it. Then, when I was mindful, of it, I got started to get tense and uptight. Oh. <laughs> because something happened. Uh, something happened was that we lit up that tendency to get engrossed uh, and the attention narrowed onto something in a way that was not reflective and cool it narrowed and it wasn't a decision it's just that's the programming of attention you know attention is an aspect of this naming and attention For most of us, is trained to narrow down onto an object and hold it. Not to gently sense it, but to grip it. Like like an idea, or a thought, or a conclusion, or something we get detailed and do it right. So this becomes the reflex habit. And to grip. And then, when you're encouraged to pay attention, then really grip. And then if you can sustain it with mindfulness, grip it hard for a long time. Don't ever drop it. Well, you know unremitting mindfulness of every breath, inhalation, exhalation. So you get this very tight. Not just tight but persistently tight, ideologically backed up with tightness as my lord and guide. (laughs) You know the more the stronger the better. And then you know people becoming rather strange, <laughs> um, you know, tense, uh, uh, kind of cut off, half numb, losing, losing contact with the body. Losing contact with the fullness of the body, living in the head. And that's sort of attention on steroids. Attention is needed, yeah, intention, intention. May I approach this calmly, coolly, noticing what I can notice, keeping the chitta in mind, encouraging the chitta, encouraging the heart, what's suitable, what's comfortable, what's manageable, what kind of effort is it capable of, and we can build that up as it gets stronger. What kind of effort is it capable of within the range? And we just practice like that. There's a feedback. If you do some of it, it gets stronger. Yeah, It gets clearer. And you begin to cultivate like that. It's a growing into it. And we get past the idea that we've got to you know, get into a meditation program and get it right and come out at the end of it having got good grades or something like that. Become a stream-entra. Movement towards the future. Volitional movement towards the future. Chikana. Volitional movement towards the future. What future? So... Really arranging it so that one's attention is not adding things up, reaching forward towards the future it's adequate you can find something you can adequately rest upon get the attention to rest upon so that mindfulness can be established the ability to stay with something and listen to it dispassionately Stay with it. Listen to it. Take it in. Uh-huh. So the chitta is able to hmm, adjust. Hmm. This feels calming, cooling, steadying, brightening, hmm. and through this process, we're happy. As we saw in our reading the other day, person. This is um, forty-seven ten. The sanghuta directs, so when the bhikkhu mind is overwhelmed with sluggishness or passion of something or the other, mind is distracted, he directs his mind towards some inspiring sign, could be an out breath. it could be the sense of a body sitting here steadily sheltered, protected, stable, you know, feeling comfortable no pressure, sitting under a tree, you know, these are signs, limiters. So we feel, ah, one is gladdened. We find something that lifts you up, that gives you some support. Okay, take it there. (laughs) Drinking that quality in, the jitta takes on that quality of feeling supported, nourished, comfortable. By the sign, by this sense, felt sense the Chitta is arriving at, I feel supported, I feel steady, I feel comfortable. And it's not associated with physicality. It's associated with the chitta's sense of being able to rest into something. So it is the properties of the chitta itself. The heart itself provides the sign as it lingers on something that's steadying. So it opens, it becomes more sensitive, assured, and it can pick up subtler qualities such as breathing in and out or this is the example. And in this case, the bhikkhu directing his attention that way, directing his mind that way, experiences happiness, gladness, Mind becomes unified and so forth. And the Buddha says, Yes, very good. And from that position, it contemplates feelings, pleasure, pain, contemplates body, contemplates this, that, and that. So the mind is not closed down, it's actually assured in itself, comfortable in itself, settled in itself, and now it can review experience. Mm-hmm. It's this is body, it's this body is what? A series of phenomena, bodily phenomena passing through. It's not mine, it's just this. Mm. There's no intensity around that. And practice beginning perhaps the work with mental phenomena. Yeah. the the soreness or the roughness or the tightness or the agitation sympathetically Chitta's nature is sympathetic when it's not impassioned and allowing the quality of that sympathetic awareness to be felt sensed this allows phenomena to unravel it's not necessarily always that pretty but it is very relieving to witness one's fears and anxieties kind of move through and eventually pass on because you're not engaging with them you're not resisting you're not fighting with them and you're not creating a self out of them and you abide Jita remains abiding in its place of Steadiness. I'm using that quality of breathing in and out as a sign that provides that. Walking, same thing. Doesn't matter. So the Buddha says, Yeah, okay, that's all good, but then there's also development without direction. So he's been directing his mind without direction not directing the mind outwardly. a bhikkhu understands my mind is not directed outwardly, it doesn't. It's really just resting in itself. It is unconstricted, before and after, liberated, undirected. So really dwelling in this uh, spaciousness and uh, um, not going anywhere, jitta, spacious, receptive qualities. It's not directing anything. It's just receptivity and then that receptivity, experiencing phenomena, arising through it, passing through it. Same results. I am happy, I am clearly comprehending, I am mindful. So the Buddha says, you know, you can practice either of these, but the sense one has and it's, is that First of all, some direction is needed, you know, to, to get a sense of the citta being able to distinguish itself easily from the phenomena that come cascading in, become dispassionate towards them, find its own ground, and then begin to open to total receptivity, um, which means it's a lot more selfless, because wherever there's direction, as a director. So let's take some time for direct practice.